Good afternoon and welcome to From Where We Are, stories of news and culture through the lens of USC and Southern California. I'm Fernando Cienfuegos coming to you live from Studio B in USC's Annenberg Media Center. And I'm Brian Sarabia. It's Wednesday, November 30th. On today's show, the U.S. advances to the knockout stage, but not without some controversy off the field. Protesters at City Hall are met with pushback from law enforcement at today's council meeting. And we give you tips on how to shop sustainably this holiday season. All that and more from where we are. All eyes are on the World Cup taking place in Qatar right now. Countries like Argentina, Senegal, and England have secured spots in the knockout stage. That also includes the U.S. men's national team, who defeated Iran 1-0 just yesterday. But as Ian Roddy reports, the gritty play on the field wasn't the only conflict between the countries involved. For the U.S. men's national team yesterday, the potential on-field outcomes were incredibly simple. Win and you advance, tie or lose, and you go home. But that was about the only simple aspect of this game. Over the weekend, the U.S. Soccer Federation posted altered images of the Iranian flag on its social media accounts, scrubbing the Islamic Republic emblem from the center. They said it was in an effort to show support for the nationwide protests going on in Iran for women's rights. Needless to say, the Iranian regime wasn't happy. They accused the U.S. Federation of racism, called for FIFA to disqualify or suspend them from the cup, and have since had their own journalists pushing U.S. players and coaches with difficult political questions, despite them not being involved. At a press conference, an Iranian reporter asked 23-year-old U.S. player Tyler Adams this question. First of all, you say you support the Iranian people, but you're pronouncing our country's name wrong. Our country is named Iran, not Iran. Please, once and for all, let's get this clear. Second of all, um, are you okay to be representing a country that has so much discrimination against black people in its own borders? My apologies on uh, the mispronunciation of your country. Um, yeah, that being said, you know, there's discrimination uh, everywhere you go. Um, you know, one thing that I've learned, especially from living abroad in the past years and uh, having to fit in in different cultures and, and kind of assimilate into different cultures, um, is that in the U.S. we're, we're continuing to make progress uh, every single day. Like you just educated me now on the pronunciation of, of your country. So, um, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a process. I think as, as long as you see progress, uh, that's the most important thing. Even though Adams responded thoughtfully, head coach Greg Berhalter made it clear in his press conference that the U.S. coaches and players had no part in the social media post. The players and the staff knew nothing about what was being posted. Um, and, it, you know, sometimes things are out of our control. We believe that it's going to be a match um, that the result will depend on, you know, who puts more effort in, who, who executes better on the field. And, you know, we're not focused on those outside things. And, and all we can do on our behalf is apologize on behalf of the players and the staff. But it's not something that, um, you know, that, that we are part of. The posts have since been deleted, but Iran wasn't happy, accusing U.S. soccer of removing the name of God from their national flag. When it comes to soccer, the United States and Iran have a bit of a history. Well, the game, some said, would never take place. The countries faced off back in the 1998 World Cup in a game that's been described as the most politically charged in the tournament's history. 
This had to do with tensions originating from the Iran hostage crisis in 1979, as well as the U.S.'s support of Iraq in the Iran-Iraq War in the 1980s. Iran came out on top in that 1998 game, defeating the U.S. 2-1 and knocking them out of the World Cup. Yesterday's game served as the sequel to that historic matchup. The face-off was further amplified by the fresh political tension stemming from this social media fiasco. This time, the U.S. came out on top on the field, but it's unclear how things will play out off the field. For Annenberg Media, I'm Ian Roddy. Throughout the past few months, protests have been held around the world against Iran's Islamic regime. One of those very protests occurred today on USC's campus. Annenberg Media spoke to Persian students about their thoughts on the ongoing revolution. Over the past few months, protests have occurred across the globe against the human rights abuses in Iran by the Islamic regime. The protests were sparked by the deaths of 22-year-old Masa Amini and 16-year-old Nika Shakarami at the hands of Iranian morality police in September. Those who go against the stringent rules enforced by the police risk arrest or even death. Groups at USC have been holding weekly protests in solidarity with those protesting in Iran. USC biomedical engineering student Nikki Tavakoli, whose family is from Iran, joined the protest on USC's campus today, waving the lion and sun flag. This flag was an emblem of Iran for thousands of years, but was replaced by a flag representing the Islamic regime during the Iranian Revolution in 1979. Uh, two months ago, uh, a, a young woman was killed, murdered in Iran because some hair was showing outside of her hijab, which is mandatory to wear in Iran. There's no freedom to wear what you want or say what you want. And she was beaten to death with a baton. We've had movements, very small movements in previous years, but this was kind of just, it really hit the nail on the head and now it has turned into a worldwide uh, revolution. Tavakoli's family fled Iran after the revolution. She is yet to visit the country and is now hesitant to do so since she has spoken out publicly against the regime many times on social media. And for me not being able to ever travel to my homeland because of how active I've been against this government uh, is really disheartening. And I know that if I ever went to Iran, uh, I would be taken prisoner because I've been very active against them here in the United States. And, uh, you know, it's really sad because a lot of Iranian students go through this where they leave Iran, they're not able to ever go back because, you know, they basically escape to get to get away from this government. And uh, I'm really, really hopeful that a lot of us will be able to return to Iran and see our families, some even for the first time like me. Like Tavakoli's family, many Iranians have fled to the United States seeking refuge from the oppressive government. In fact, with 700,000 Persian residents, Southern California hosts the highest population of Persians in the world outside of Iran. Tavakoli says we can continue to support people in Iran by carrying on with protesting and encouraging our government to take action. And that's really the, the one thing that we can do here in the United States and Canada and Europe is to keep spreading awareness and, and let people know that this is a revolution and it's not going anywhere until this government is overthrown. Justice for Massa! Justice for Massa! Justice for Massa! Justice for Massa! Justice for Nika! Justice for Nika! No to dictators. For Annenberg Media, I'm Grace Glanty. Last night, 
USC held a candlelight vigil to honor the lives lost in the fires in Wurumuchi, China. Ten people died in this fire. BCA has more. This song is called Failure. It's a classic song known to many Chinese people that conveys the sadness of bidding farewell to friends. Last week, ten people died in a high-rise apartment fire in Wurumuchi, the capital of China's Xinjiang region. Protesters blamed the country's zero-COVID policy for their death. Firefighters were prevented from entering the building, slowing rescue efforts. The event began with a deafening shouts as the protests held white papers above their heads to express their discontent and support of similar protests in China, which was sparked by the massive censorship and deletion of online comments about the death. One of the event organizers who asked not to be named and is also a U.S. student explains why she took action. I think young people, especially people overseas, we know, we know the outside world. We know that what it's like to have freedom of speech. We know what it's like to live a different kind of life. She also mentioned the irrationality of China's COVID policy. You could be taken from your home even with a negative COVID test simply because you came in contact, you walked by someone who tested positive for COVID. It can, it can take you on a bus and take you to a facility. When the event began an hour later, the protests overshadowed the honoring of the dead, causing one U.S. student to take offense. She took to the stage to call attention to the event's origin goal. And we're here to say what we want to say. We don't need to say the same thing. We just want to say what we want to say. So I invite everyone, I invite every one of you, those who are afraid, As the event progressed, more and more people started to take the stage and speak out. One U.S. student used words from 1974 speech by China's open-minded former leader Deng Xiaoping at the United Nations General Assembly to express her dissatisfaction with the current governing power. If one day China becomes the superpower of the world and becomes the king of the world and carries out aggression everywhere, the people of the world should also expose and overthrow China together with Chinese people. Everyone bowed three times to the victims as the song Farewell was sung. After two hours, the event came to an end. After route, a steady stream of onlookers and students passed by. Honoring the deceased with flowers. From Randomberg Media, I'm BC. A new podcast that aims to destigmatize diabetes and educate people on what it is is changing lives one episode at a time. Megan Duncan has the story. 
The podcast is called Diabetic Bestie. This podcast was created by USC student Nicole Barron, who was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in 2020 and premiered this past September. The podcast has a new episode every Monday and covers topics such as diabetic social networking apps, continuous glucose monitors, and insulin pumps. I started Your Diabetic Bestie because I initially looked for podcasts that were about type 1 diabetes, but a lot of them were catered towards like older audiences. So I wanted to create one that was more targeted at Gen Z diabetics and something that their friends and their loved ones could listen to and not feel so overwhelmed by the heavy topic that it can be. She offered some advice for those friends and loved ones. Just like don't tell someone what they can and can't eat. And then if someone is struggling, just really just be there for them. And you can always offer support, but just be careful about how you approach it. Another tool for diabetes data and advice comes directly from USC researchers. Mark Harmel is a research coordinator at USC's Keck School of Medicine and USC's Westside Center for Diabetes. The center conducts extensive clinical trials and technological reviews to transform how diabetes is treated today. Although navigating the holiday season with diabetes can be difficult, Harmel offers advice to those who might need it. You're going to be eating different foods you need to do lots more checking. So people who are using a blood glucose meter, make sure you bring extra test strips and bring your meter with you. And then, then we recommend people who have continuous glucose monitors. Okay, so continuous glucose monitors are really important to, to pay attention to what your glucose levels are. The trick of managing diabetes is to sort of balance out your medications and exercise with the carbohydrates that you're bringing in to sort of all, keep it all in balance. With the CDC reporting that 28.5 million United States adults are diagnosed with diabetes and 26 million adults possess prediabetes, the general education of symptoms and blood sugar levels is of paramount importance as a season of holiday dinners is underway. Keeping the dialogue open during this time of the year helps keep diagnosed diabetics from feeling isolated and can even save lives. For Annenberg Media, I'm Megan Duncan. Holiday shopping is in full swing, and as people try to find that perfect gift for family and friends, Tatiana Satawa tells us how to shop more sustainably this holiday season. It's the most wonderful time of the year. With the holiday season around the corner, many find themselves scrambling to get the best deals and are dazzled by the 30% off everything must go sales. Unfortunately, these big sales can be wasteful and harmful to our environment. According to Brightly, a website promoting sustainable living, Americans toss out 25% more trash during the holidays than any time during the year. This includes food waste from trying out holiday recipes, endless wrapping paper, shopping bags, bows, and ribbons. USC Environmental Studies professor Douglas Becker explains the environmental impacts that overbuying has on our planet and how to live sustainably during this season. Whenever it comes to any sort of trash, remember that the order that we need to consider our trash, when that's the issue, is reduce, reuse, recycle. When, whenever possible, reduce that. It's easier said than done. Just this Black Friday, Americans spent around $9 billion, and on Cyber Monday alone, online sales hit a record of $11.3 billion. You know, overspending reinforces norms that will lead to environmental degradation, overuse of resources, etc. To avoid overspending during this holiday season, you can get creative with your gift ideas. 
Professor Becker gives another option by encouraging us to move away from materialism. I'm a big believer in um, in gifting experiences. <laughs> go on, you know, go do something fun together as the experience, and let that be the gifts that you, um, you know, that 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 you exchange. Um, it doesn't always have to be stuff. And when you go holiday shopping, Professor Decker advises to seek out um, companies that have less of a carbon footprint. Um, seek out companies that promote sustainability. And whenever possible, again, if you're buying stuff, buy from local producers, buy local. So this holiday season, walking in a winter wonderland also means being aware and mindful of how much you're spending on holiday preparations. For Annenberg Media, I'm Tatiana Satawa. And that's all we have time for on today's From Where We Are. This show was produced by Guilherme Guerrero and Jeffrey Lee. Derek Renfro composed our theme music, and Fernando Cienfuegos is our technical operator. Be sure to check us out on YouTube at Annenberg Radio News. This is our last show for the semester. We thank all of our reporters for making this show possible. And thank you to our coach, Tina Rubio, and to our audio engineer, Sebastian Grubaugh. We'll be back with more of your favorite stories next semester. From all of us at Annenberg Radio, happy holidays, and thank you for joining us here each week for From, From Where, Where We, we Are. are.